Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Giese, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. Well, it's time for another news edition of the podcast. It has been just an unbelievable past few months. First, we were dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. Now, it's the murder of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer that triggered protests and riots across the country. It has been a trying time for the media in covering the pandemic and the protests slash riots. If you have been reading the print edition of the Daily Gazette or online at dailygazette.com, our news reporters have been on top of everything. I'll speak with Gazette editor Miles Reed a little later about the coverage. First, I talk with the Gazette news writer Pete Demola, who has been covering both the pandemic and the protests slash riots. Here's my conversation with Pete. Well, Pete, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, you've been uh, kind of <laughs> understatement busy. Yeah, Ken, thanks for having me. It's yeah. been um, you know, about a week of uh, prolonged, sustained uh, activity here in the Capital Region. Yeah, between the coronavirus and the protests slash riots, uh, have you had a chance moment to sleep at all? Not very well. <laughs> well, let's talk about what happened last weekend uh, with the protests in Albany, which turned into uh, a violent riot where you know, cops were getting thrown, you know, being at, having things thrown at them. Uh, we saw one person throw a brick at a police officer and he ended up being arrested describe what it was like uh covering that uh, how the, everything turned yeah thanks ken i mean i want to preface this by saying that you know the overwhelming majority of activity here in the capital region has been peaceful and without incident and uh you know there are certain groups who are um engaging in illicit behavior that gives people uh, ammunition to doubt the protests the, the movement so um, we got to be careful and not painting everyone with the same brush but what happened in Albany was there was a, a peaceful protest at Townsend Park last Saturday that was peaceful and passionate and charged where there were there were people uh, sharing their very real stories about uh, police, uh, how, you know, they've been in similar situations as Mr. Floyd in terms of uh, targeted for being black, um, questioned aggressively, and, you know, for a lot of these speakers, um, they could have been a George Floyd, right? And um, it's not only protesting his death and the brutality, but just the overall daily experience of being black in America, where there's different standards and different expectations of you. Uh, a lot of speakers shared those stories, and they shared uh, stories of loved ones who have been shot uh, by police uh, here in the Capital Region. Uh, it was very passionate, very uh, eloquent, very moving. Uh, there was a non, uh, there was a peaceful parade that drew uh, lots of people. It dissipated. Uh, and everyone had a really good feeling. You know, everybody was kind of nervous about how that would turn out, uh, about the, the amount of people in the COVID era. Uh, after the event, organizers were thrilled and, and proud and pleased. 
um, you know, I, I came back to Schenectady and I, I got a tip uh, from somebody who asked me to come back because there was a situation unfolding at South Station. Uh, they wanted the media to be there to report any kind of, uh, you know, to document and report, which is what we do. And, you know, also safeguard against any kind of uh, activity by police that could be considered aggressive. Uh, I got there around 6.30, and uh, there was individuals uh, pelting an SUV, a police uh, SUV with rocks and bricks and other materials. Uh, the officers were standing at about three deep in riot gear in the parking lot. Uh, I don't know what precipitated the event. I can't speak to what happened before that, but that's what I saw. Uh, the atmosphere was extremely, extremely uh, charged. Uh, I was only there for, like, several moments when I, groups of people thought I was a cop, and uh, I look like a cop. I, I get it. And I told them, like, I was here because you guys called me here. I don't know what's going on. And the crowd got bigger and bigger, uh, more angry, um, you know, and uh, somebody intervened, and they said he's good. You know, I called him here. He's a reporter. He's you know he's documenting this. Uh, but you know, very quickly, uh, what I saw was uh, again a lot of angry, upset people uh, yelling at the police. Uh, you know, it was basically a standoff uh, that webbed and it waned, waxed and waned, I should say, for. Um, for hours. Tensions would go up, they would go down, people didn't know what to do, they didn't know what the cops were going to do. Uh, then ultimately what ended up happening was um, they just started pushing people out of the parking lot. Uh, there was tear gas sprayed, there was rocks and bricks flying in both directions, it was, it was pandemonium. A girl next to me got hit in the face with a rock or a brick, bleeding blood running down her face. Um, it was dangerous. Uh, ultimately, uh, the cops cleared the parking lot, and they kind of separated people into two different groups. Uh, you know, one of the group was more aggressive than the other. Uh, that's where you saw the uh, the photo on our front page of the Gazette with the, the, fl the flames and the horseback uh, mounted officers. And they ended up pushing that particular group uh, onto South Pearl Street, uh, which dissipated. I can't speak to uh, if that group participated in the widespread destruction and rioting that we saw later that evening and into overnight, but uh, that was kind of the, the attitude in the uh, the scene at South Station. I guess the next day they came out and there uh, was that many of the uh, people who were involved were not from Albany, some were out from other towns. And I mean, how do they determine these you know, how these people you know, came here and uh, you know, try to uh, make things uh, bad? Yeah, I can only speak to what I observed and what we what we reported on. Uh, I interviewed, you know, a lot of people at that scene and a lot of people uh, for the record, which means they give us our names and quotes to publish. You know, they said they were from the neighborhood. Uh, a lot of people, you know, both in formal interviews and informal conversations said, look, we live in the neighborhood. We're just pissed off. Uh, at this chronic conditions that we face of chronic poverty, constant tensions with the cops. We're sick of it and we're tired. Um, you know, another guy I interviewed said that he was dismissive of the people and he said, oh, they're all drug addicts and they all live in the shelter. Uh, so, you know, and then the mayor said, Kathy Sheehan said, well, I've been engaged with discussions with community leaders and they said that they don't recognize them from the community. 
So to answer your question, I don't think there's any definitive way. Uh, I can only talk about what I, you know, the people that I interviewed, the people who I spoke with. Uh, is it possible that some were from outside the area? Of course. Social media has been crackling uh, throughout this this time of um, people going from one city to the other to protest. And, you know, the organizers, I want to make it very clear that the organizers of all these protests have stressed that violence is counterproductive to their goals, and they've denounced the use of violence. The organizers have said that this has to be a tri-city movement, Albany, Schenectady, Troy. So that by that logic, there's going to be some people who are not who don't have the best interests in mind who are also going to go to all those three cities. But it's impossible to to know to quantify. But again, people at these protests have called out those who want to attend the protests for nefarious means. Like like we saw in Schenectady, um, you know, the community leaders are saying, like, look, we know some of you are in the crowd. If your intention is to, like, you know, use this as an opportunity to engage in violence or illicit behavior, like, we don't want you here. You have to go. Speaking of Schenectady, that leads me to my next question. You know, we had saw the protests in front of the police station Sunday afternoon. Police Chief Eric Clifford um, comes out and takes a knee with, with the processors. How impactful was that, and how much of that you think quelled a lot of uh, tension? Yeah, it's a great question. So what happened at Schenectady was um, similar, similar to Albany, the peaceful protests in Albany in the sense that there's a certain uh, blueprint that people are working with to uh, voice their frustrations, uh, tell their stories, share their stories of anguish and pain. Uh, what we saw in Schenectady was um, you had, a, you know, people are hurting right now. They're in pain. You know, they're, they see, you know, what's happened to, to Mr. Floyd, and that's only the catalyst for, their, uh, for them to just share a lifelong of these stories. And what you saw was a lot of people who, from the neighborhood, from the city, who are, you know, wondering, why have I been treated this way? Why have I been pulled over and frisked? when I wasn't doing anything wrong or just sharing their like very personal, painful stories and, you know, demanding the chief answer them. So what happened was uh, the chief came out and, you know, he answered them the best that he could under like the very uh, stressful and emotionally charged environment. Um, And again, I mean, these are, these are very tense moments where you don't know what's going to happen. And he, uh, the crowd, you know, he, he answered as many questions as he could. And then he took his knee at the, I, a lot of people say that, uh, protesters are asking that officers take a knee. No, they demanded it. This is a demand. And he took the knee and then instantaneously the tension kind of melted in the crowd. Um, people were like, cheering people were clapping they were like genuinely thought that that was like a gesture that needed to happen uh afterwards uh there was some more banter back and forth it was notably more calm and then uh, clifford and some of his other guys uh ultimately kind of marched around the block chanting black lives matter um in interviews with people after the 
after this started to clear up a little bit, they were genuinely appreciative. And they were, you know, they seemed sincere in saying that 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 gesture did a lot. Now, that's not to say that everybody agreed. I mean, there were a lot of people who were still upset, saying it was a symbolic gesture, and they're, you know, talking about, like, their experience as well. So it's kind of still divided on that. Then later that day, uh, Mayor McCarthy issues a curfew. We, I guess we're starting to hear, we heard some rumors that there could be some problems that night. We were hearing uh, rumors where I live in the Rotterdam area that there was going to be some issues. I remember I was going to get the mulch <laughs> late Sunday afternoon at the Walmart there in, in Rotterdam, and it was closed at 5 o'clock. And I was thinking, oh, boy, this is not good. So uh, as it turned out, really nothing happened. But... The, sp- the spread of rumors, I mean, how much does that, do you think, you know, cause more anxiety for people and the police? That's a great question, Ken. I mean, I think this comes comes down to local leadership. Uh, Mayor McCarthy has not held a formal press conference since March 13th uh, throughout this entire pandemic. And he was radio silent during this very large, uh, tense gathering in his city. Uh, my phone was pinging all day from contacts wondering about these rumors or wondering if their businesses were going to be broken into. They were they were anxious, they were afraid, and there was no answers. Uh, you know, that was compounded by a curfew being implemented. Uh, and people were, were saying, okay, well, now I've got people in my business. I'm still open for takeout. Does that mean that I'm going to get in trouble? Do I have to, you know, cancel my orders? Uh, it was an atmosphere of, like, no answers. Um, you know, thankfully, there was a peaceful evening. I mean, there were there was another group of, of people who appeared at Proctor's. There was uh, guys from Rotterdam there in riot gear. And I, you know, I was interviewing one of the, uh, the people there, and she told me that it was an avenue for catharsis action. Um, but it was a tense atmosphere. Uh, you know, I was interviewing um, people who were who were standing in front of their stores all night long. The guys at Lyle, Lyle's Hoagies, they said, you know, we can't get plywood. We can't, we don't know what to do. So we're just going to stand here all night and guard our family business. That, you know, that was the atmosphere. Um, the mayor then the next day lifted the curfew and put out a, a statement praising the protesters. Uh, but, you know, I think that um, at that point in time, a lot of the anxiety had already passed a lot of uncertainty had already passed, and you know a lot of people are still uh, asking about the the leadership in the city. You brought up Mayor McCarthy. We'll talk about the coronavirus now. I mean, we we see Governor Cuomo every day on TV with his press conferences. Albany County Executive Dan McCoy's on. Rensselaer County Steve McLaughlin's been on. Why has Schenectady Mayor McCarthy and the Schenectady County been sort of? Nowhere. I mean, they sort of, they sort of have been, as you said, radio silent. Yeah, it's a great question, Ken. You know, Schenectady County, we definitely had to keep uh, pounding them, uh, asking the tough questions. Uh, and to their credit, I mean, they've started to have the twice weekly Facebook Live events at the county manager, which is uh, certainly a welcome improvement, and it gives an avenue to ask questions and for the public to get information. It took pressure from you to get them to do that, too, right? It's all about the public. It's not about us. It's about you guys. And, um, you know, this came at a time where I'm studying data from about the racial and demographic breakdown of COVID, and it's disproportionately impacting minorities here in Schenectady County. 
The county didn't address it. So they started having the Facebook Live events, and Rory Fluman announced today, Thursday, June 4th, that you know they have an action plan assembled, and they're starting to implement it. And you know what? That's great, but it shouldn't take pressure from the Daily Gazette to get county officials to do the right thing and communicate with the public. Bottom line. Uh, in terms of the city, you know, the mayor has um, used every uh, talking point to deflect from addressing the public. He said, oh, it's the county executive's responsibility. They're handling the crisis. But then he said, well, if, if, if they have uh, Facebook Lives, wouldn't that kind of uh, go up against Albany? Is there a saturated media marketing? Would there be too many, you know, not enough reporters to cover it? Uh, and, you know, he's just kind of gone on and on uh, as for reasons why he doesn't want to communicate with the public. And again, like, it's not about us. It's about the phone calls we get from the public asking about the lack of communication. That's all there is to it. Like, people need answers. Um, the city, the mayor has said, oh, you know, we'll consider doing a Facebook Live. Uh, that was three weeks ago. Uh, to my knowledge, I haven't done one. Uh, then they've pointed at, you know, they're starting to do daily updates via email, but those are sporadic. And some days they'll come, some days they won't come. Uh, so, again, it's just all about keeping the public appraised. And now we're at a time where uh, we have dueling crises. We have the, the COVID crisis and we've got the, this racial, uh, this national call for racial justice. And during that time, you know, lo localities should be communicating with the residents. As you've said, you've it seems like every day you hear from people. I mean, uh, are they getting satisfied now that they're getting some statements from Schenectady County and the mayor? Well, I was speaking with one of the organizers this morning. Uh, his name is Sean Young. Um, he's with uh, Citizens Action in New York, Schenectady resident, uh, lives here in the city. And, you know, he, 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 he no, I mean, no, he, he's still saying, like, you know, there's this. It's, it's getting better, but, uh, you know, during the whole time of, as COVID is ravaging these inner city communities, like, they want to know what their officials are doing to help protect them and how to respond to this. Uh, so, you know, the communication at the county level is certainly improving, and I certainly give uh, kudos to, to management for recognizing that need uh, to, again, adapt to what every other county in the capital region is doing. Well, Pete, uh, you've been doing a great job following your coverage. Where can people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, they can follow me at PMDemola, P-M-D-E-M-O-L-A, at Twitter. Try to get some sleep. I will not get some sleep. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Pete, appreciate it. Coming up, I'll speak with Gazette Editor Miles Reed. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? 
Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, they answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic. We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you, be well, and please keep reading. Welcome back to the podcast. Up next is my conversation with Gazette editor Miles Reed. Miles has been with the Gazette since 1995 when he joined as a reporter. He was named editor of the paper in early 2018. We discussed the challenges of covering two major stories concurrently. Well, Miles, uh, thank you for joining me for the first time on the Parting Shots podcast. It's nice to be here with you, Ken. Appreciate it. We are really at unprecedented times, Miles, uh, between the, the, the pandemic the unrest here in, you know, here in the capital region and, and, and the country. And it's really the journalism part of it. Just uh, the, it's an unprecedented time we're seeing journalists, you know, being attacked and trying to do their job. Just you can talk about what we've done here at the Gazette uh, and the, the unprecedented coverage and the, uh, how important it is to uh, you know, inform the community of what's going on. I've been doing this for 30, 32 years now, and I can definitely say uh, we, we've never had anything like this. And this is includes, you know, when 9-11 happened, uh, massive flooding, just a lot of big stories over the years. There's there's never been anything to this, uh, this degree that we've had to cover. And um, it, while it's been daunting to, to be able to have to cover all this, it's been, you know, very exciting. And I think it's supercharged the staff that we have. And it's really sort of brought out the the skills and the passion that so many people on the team have for this. I mean, one perfect example is I'm sitting here talking to you. You're in our sports uh, staff, and you, you, you most of the time you're doing sports. But even our sports guys, like you, are totally engaged in part of this COVID uh, coverage team, and then also part of this the Black Lives Matter team. And this is, we are uh, taking the team that we have and really throwing all of our resources at these huge stories uh, because they have huge local impacts. And we're doing it in a way that we've never done before, where the entire team is working on sort of this singular focus. How, yeah, maybe that crazy is the way it works, but how much uh, is it, you know, trying to 
gathers to organize everything day to day, and you know, things could be changing rapidly at, the, you know, at a moment's notice. Well, one thing for sure, and I, I actually I was talking to a friend of mine who's a longtime journalist, and she said something along the lines. She has never experienced anything close to the, the speed with which the story changes every single day. And, and I totally agree with her. Uh, we've never seen anything like this. The, the news cycle has changed a lot in the last 20 years with cable TV and 24-7 news access. This has taken it to the nth degree where it's, you know, it's that same cycle, but it's even magnified even greater because on any given day now, uh, the story, you know, what what I think is going to be the Daily's report at 9 a.m., it might look completely different by 3, 4 in the afternoon. Um, so on one, in, in one hand, it's super challenging. But on the other hand, it's it's such an exciting story. It's such an exciting time. You feel like you're living through history and we're doing the best that we can to tell how these huge stories are affecting the capital district, well, you know, with the main focus on Schenectady, but really it's it's hitting everything with Albany and Saratoga. Just this afternoon, as we're speaking, we have teams covering uh, protests up in Glens Falls. We've got a team covering uh, a similar kind of event out in Amsterdam. Um, and this weekend we're going to be in Troy, Saratoga, uh, Amsterdam at various protests of the uh, the Black Lives Matter issue but it's it's a really exciting time and as for just to let our listeners know we're taping this on a, on friday june the 5th um yeah for example the, you know one the example of how things can change so rapidly uh, happened this last saturday when uh, pete Tamola was out to cover the albany protest and it, and subsequently it turned into a riot it, it changed dramatically and i'll tell you it's a great example ken because um on saturday afternoon at noon uh, our, our reporter, uh, Pete uh, DeMola, and the photographer covered the, the march, the very peaceful march in Albany at Townsend Park. Everything went fine. Um, I actually, you know, had a firsthand report because my daughters went and they, they were, uh, they came back home and reported that it was a very peaceful, positive event. And we had most of the Sunday paper all set. Uh, we had literally had some stories on the pages, including A1, and about 6, 7 o'clock at night, Pete DeMola sends a text saying uh, it's it's really getting rowdy and very tense in Albany. And so the story shifted dramatically at that time. Fortunately, you know, we, we've got a newsroom filled with people who know that everything could change on a, on a, on a moment's notice, and you, you just adjust. Um, but I, I don't see any kind of uh, resistance to it. I think we're all stepping up and realizing that you can't be complacent because the story is going to change all the time. Yeah. And, of course, on Sunday we, we saw a vastly different uh, situation where Schenectady, uh, there are protesters outside the police station, and uh, Chief Clifford comes out and then he ends up you know, kneeling with them, and it just that sort of diffused the situation, which was kind of nice. I mean, again, another perfect example about the rapidly changing uh, news element here. That story, was, that day was one of the most topsy-turvy days I've ever been involved in. Uh, and I was at the, the march. I, I attended as part of our big team of covering it. And it sort of went down one path. It was very peaceful. But at the same time, uh, you know, you didn't know what was going to happen in terms of the police department's response, especially just 12 hours after that violence in Albany. So there was a lot of tension. And then it completely surprises everybody when the chief 
takes a knee, goes on a march through the neighborhood with these protesters. And at that time, you got to remember, that was before chiefs sort of all around the country and cops all around the country would have taken a knee. So it surprised the heck out of us, but our staff was right there. We covered it. We, were, we uh, had Facebook Live. We had video. We had photographers. And the crew covered it. But it was tough because... Um, you know, this, the original planned protest, which we, we went there to cover, changed dramatically while we were there. So you've got to be uh, really flexible and prepared to shift uh, as you're doing it. Of course, with all that's going on, there's always rumors of stuff, things going on. I know, for example, you know, where I live in Rotterdam, there was talk about maybe some uh, situations going to happen uh, that Sunday night. And as I mentioned to Pete earlier in the in the telecast, or the, I'm sorry, the broadcast about it, and I saw a posting on Facebook that somebody was claiming that there was somebody throwing rocks on the bridge in 890. So, for reporters, I mean, how do they separate fact from fiction? So that that it's a it's an added stressor to this because you're getting, uh, in addition to all the stuff that we're covering that we can see happening, we're always dealing with rumors now that uh, a lot of times are unfounded, which you know we we don't root one way or the other. Um, but we chase these things on Sunday night in particular, what you're talking about. We heard rumors, uh, number one, we heard rumors that there was going to be possibly uh, attempts to break into Proctor's Theater downtown. So we sent a crew down there on Sunday uh, afternoon. We heard rumors that on J Street in the pedestrian um, walkway that some of those businesses would be ransacked, looted. It didn't happen, but we had to check it out. And then we, you know, we heard those same rumors that there were, we actually heard that there was active rioting going on overnight Sunday into Monday. So we had a reporter, uh, Pete DeMole, who we've talked about. He went and checked it out at 2 a.m. Uh, we had a report at 2 a.m. Uh, online uh, saying we checked out these rumors. It's not true. Again, we don't cheer it. We don't root one way or the other. We just cover them. But, um, you, you know, you gotta, you've got to be alert 24-7 now more than ever because this is so rapidly evolving and you know coming up this weekend we're we're all on heightened alert because there's still you know potential for uh violence and problems at some of these marches especially after we've seen what's happened in new york city this week what's happened in buffalo this week so we're we're acutely aware that things could get uh um, you know dramatically worse very quickly um we were up in glens falls this afternoon this is friday afternoon and um and our reporter and photographer were there there were over a thousand people um, marching there, in a tiny little city that's got a population of about fifteen thousand. So it just—it's just this massive collection of individuals, which has the potential for you know a challenge for law enforcement. So we're, we're trying to stay alert, and up to this point, um, you know, it's been—it's been fairly easy to respond. What what we try to be prepared for is if there are multiple um, growing. Um, uh, situations with violence in various cities that will be more challenging to cover but we've got a game plan for this weekend uh, where we know there will be literally four protests going on sunday afternoon in the capital region we will have two-person teams at all of those you mentioned the violence and i mentioned earlier at the top of this uh, broad, uh sec segment journalists journalism uh, uh, journalists are getting attacked uh tv reporters newspaper reporters uh it seems like you watch the video on the on the on the news, and you're seeing police officers actually aiming their guns, I mean, shooting rubber bullets at these uh, reporters. I think I saw one reporter 
uh, lost an eye because of it. How do you, what do you tell our reporters about how, how to stay safe and not and, and avoid any problems? Yeah, so it's a delicate balance. So, so traditionally with journalists, we the thing we all get taught when we're at journalism school, and then when you work at student newspapers, and your first jobs is to be aggressive. You got to get the story. You got to you know got to hustle, hustle, hustle to get the story. This is an unprecedented time, and in fact, I had a conversation with one of our reporters about an hour ago, and said, "You have to be very aware about your surroundings at this point. This point, potential danger around every corner. So, what we're telling them is, be aggressive, get the story, but your head's got to be on a swivel. You got to be prepared that there might be some kind of a violence, and you might either get caught in the the crossfire." Or you might be potentially targeted. Very fortunately, uh, in the capital region, it's been by and large, uh, you know, free of the kind of attacks we're seeing in some other cities. But two of our staffers last night in Schenectady, covering events, um, were were hassled, and uh, you know, both of them were physically um, approached by individuals. So it's challenging. Um, you know, we're, we're reminding them that they need to stay safe. Even if that means retreating, getting the heck out of the scene until things cool off or getting back to a point where you can observe what's going on, you can report it, but you're not going to be in harm's way. But it is uh, a real uh, concern that we have that there is, uh, you know, some kind of a threat and we're, we're aware and we're trying to monitor it. I'm, I spend a big part of my day, especially in the evenings and weekends, keeping an eye on what's going on and I'm prepared that you know if if I see something happening that maybe a reporter doesn't know is happening at an event I'll be on the phone with them and and telling them to to take safe cover. Well Miles appreciate a few minutes I know you're busy here you know coordinating the coverage and uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you Ken you do a great job. Thanks Miles appreciate it. We're back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. I'm calling on all New Yorkers to do their part to slow the spread of coronavirus. Everyone, even young people and those who feel well, stay home. If you must go outside, stay six feet from others. This will ensure everyone who needs hospital care can get it. This virus spreads even without symptoms. Stay home and stay safe. Be a part now so we can all be together later. Stay informed at health.ny.gov coronavirus. Back to wrap up the podcast, keep checking out DailyGazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Pete DeMola and Miles Reed for coming on the show. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. 
The Party Shots Podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Shot. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. For the Party Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day and stay safe.